2: Welcome, 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 and if you want to help make the world run better, you want to run with the game changers, you're here, and so are we, and you are in the right place. Well, the buzz on the street today is actually a little bit of a riddle. Uh, I hope nobody is offended by it. Let's see how this plays to the masses. Uh, The question is, and this, by the way, is from National Accounting Day Humor. That'll give you a clue. Here's the question. What do you call a financial control? who always works through lunch, always takes only two days of vacation every two years, is always in the office every weekend and leaves the office every night after 10 p.m.? The answer? A four-letter word. Lazy. Okay, that's what we're talking about today. Our topic, in case you're wondering where I'm going with this, our topic is continuous accounting. Transforming finance from what used to be, I think, a pejorative term, bean counter, into a valued strategic business partner. So let me go a little deeper into the topic. This is great news for corporate accountants. We have great news. Continuous accounting can alleviate your traditional period period end overload. How well? It can help distribute departmental workloads continuously. There's that continuous word again. Across accounting periods using automation, integration, collaboration, streamlined processes and it helps to give instant insight to the entire business. This is all good news. What is the bottom line benefit for you, the corporate comptroller, CFO, CPA, you get back valuable time while you help transform the finance function from a cost center. To a partner in the business, and who in finance doesn't want that? We have a panel of three experts who are going to help deep dive and explain all of this, so it makes sense to absolutely everyone, including me. And let's see what we're going to be—we're going to be talking to in just a few minutes. Isaac Tucker, a newcomer to Game Changers Radio, he's a vice president of product management at a company called Blackline, and we'll have him tell us a little bit about his company in a few minutes. Joining him on the panel is Robert D. Kugel, CFA. He's the Senior VP and Research Director, and I also have here his title as CFO in Business Research at Ventana Research, and we'll find out more, and he asked me to call him Robert, his full name and not Rob today. Rob is coming back on the panel. We haven't heard from him in quite a while, and rounding out the panel is Elizabeth Milne at SAP, and she'll tell us all about what she does, and she helped to put together this panel with our friend Chris Grundy, whose series, Financial Excellence with Game Changers, is on hiatus this year. And we're hoping Elizabeth and Chris will bring it back later in the year. So that's why we're doing an accounting topic here on Coffee Break with Game Changers. So let me start by introducing Isaac Tucker. And Isaac has sent us a quote from, well, no pun intended, another Isaac. It's Isaac Newton, perhaps one of the most famous holders of that name. Sir Isaac Newton, 1642-2. They're not sure when he passed away, either 1726 or 27. So much for keeping numbers. He was an English mathematician, astronomer, physicist. He called himself a natural philosopher and considered one of the most influential scientists of all time. His book, Mathematical Principles of Natural Philosophy, first published in 1687, laid the foundations of classical mechanics. Here's the quote Isaac has selected from Isaac. If I have seen further, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. Isaac Tucker, welcome to Game Changers. How are you?
3: I'm all right. I appreciate the intro.
2: We are glad to have you on board. So, first, before you talk about the other Isaac, I hope you don't mind my saying that. I was so intrigued. Uh, tell me just in, in 60 seconds, what does Blackline do?
3: Uh, yeah, happy to. So, so Blackline is a software company, first and foremost. And, uh, we're focused on building tools, solutions for the accounting function. And what that tends to mean is that we're looking for ways to make different processes Different steps in the close, different internal controls, easier to manage, more fully automated, uh, and, and and simply better in all sorts of different ways. I think that in general, most companies see us as a way to augment their core accounting system. In other words, we are not a we're not an SAP. We're a company who helps take that data from SAP and and twist it up in different ways so accountants can get at it a little better, can use it for some different things, and can take processes that otherwise would be managed in excel and move them into a centralized cloud tool.
2: Okay, and now, now let's talk about standing on the shoulders of giants. How does this quote relate to our topic today, continuous accounting, Isaac?
3: So I like this I like this quote uh, because there's a little bit of built-in irony in the mm-hmm. sense that it's most recently attributed to Isaac Newton. But you can find variations on the quote that go back forever and ever. In fact, there are you know there's actually a whole Wikipedia page dedicated just to who actually said this, mm-hmm. and that almost speaks to the intent of the quote itself, which is that innovation, good things, things that are going to stand the test of time, don't come from a single sort of leap. They come in very small incremental improvements. You know, there's something to be said for. Uh, If we're ever going to, you know, if we cure cancer, it won't be someone who stands up in a lab one day and goes, Eureka, I found it. Mm -hmm. It's going to be this steady march of science in in tiny little bite-sized increments. You know, 1% increase here, a tenth of a percent there that actually makes progress happen. And so I think that what we're going to talk about today is a process, is a change, a bit of innovation that we're seeing in the world of accounting and finance. That is coming slowly but inexorably, you know. And I think I think a lot of people are used to hearing about oh, this thing will revolutionize the world. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's how innovation works. I think the reality is when you get big changes, when you get something like continuous, excuse me, continuous accounting, which is really starting to to kind of take off. Certainly amongst our customers, you're not talking about one day you wake up and everything's different. You're talking about slow changes, small changes, slightly different people, slightly different hiring, a different way of managing, a different way of, of conducting your day-to-day, that you stand up, you look back, and you go, wow, I'm, I'm way further than I thought I was. I've made incredible progress. And ultimately, that's about seeing further and standing on, on the incremental steps that have gone before.
2: Thank you, Isaac. What an interesting introduction, and I have to uh, tip my hat if I were wearing one, and I have many, many hats I haven't worn in years, but I would tip a very special one to you. I usually do the quote lookup. I know there have been many sources attributed to, well, to whom this quote was attributed, and I did do the Wikipedia lookup. It is most popularly, most familiarly given to Isaac Newton in 1676, but in fact, it was traced back to the 12th century, attribute to Bernard of Chartres, and he said Bernard of used to compare us to dwarfs perched on the shoulders of giants. Uh, and he was talking about this, or somebody was talking about this to John of Salisbury in 1159. So it does go way back, and I thank you for the homework on that. I also have to thank you for giving me an absolutely perfect segue to our next speaker's quote and it is Robert Kugel at Ventana and we'll get him to straighten me out on what his real title is but Robert sent us a quote from Benjamin Franklin uh, and it was from his Poor Richard's Almanac those of you around the world not familiar with this well first of all Benjamin Franklin was one of the founding fathers of the U.S. and the first U.S. ambassador to France he was a renowned polymath and author printer political theorist politician Freemason when did the guy sleep postmaster scientist inventor civic activist, statesman, and diplomat called the first American. Oh, my goodness. But Poor Richard's Almanac was a yearly pamphlet that he published from 1732 to 1758, and he adopted the pseudonym Poor Richard or Richard Saunders for this purpose. He actually printed up to 10,000 copies a year. It was that popular in the American colonies. So here's the quote that is just a wonderful tag-along to what Isaac Tucker was explaining from Benjamin Franklin With Without continual growth and progress, such words as improvement, achievement, and success have no meaning. Robert D. Kugel, welcome back to Game Changers. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks, Bonnie. We're glad to have you and, and I'm going to slip into Rob from time to time. I'm sorry, but I'm so, so used to calling you Rob. First of all, the reason I said that it was a nice segue was that Isaac Tucker was saying there's no eureka moment where accounting changes and the role of the comptroller changes, that it's incremental small changes that lead up to something. And your quote says without continual growth and progress. So I thought those went very well together. What do you think, Robert?
4: Well, I agree completely, and I think that's uh, that's the the watchword here is that it's continual; it's small steps uh, to getting to improvement. Um, but um, I, <clears throat> going back into history, though, I, I, you know, to put that into into context, what I was thinking about was that uh, uh, double entry bookkeeping was was codified more than five hundred years ago, and this year marks the five hundredth anniversary of the death of a fellow named Luca Pacioli. Who was the monk uh, who first codified double entry bookkeeping? Um, accounting processes have changed very, very slowly since then, even with the introduction of computers. Uh, but today, I think information technology has evolved um, you know to enable a, a near- complete redefinition of the accounting function. It's not going to happen overnight, but it's going to happen uh, uh, surely over over the next decade or so. Um, And and that's the driver behind the concept of of continuous accounting, from my perspective. CFOs and controllers need to fully embrace technology and the fundamental change that it's going to make possible. If they want finance to be strategic, I mean, really want it to be strategic, the the department must change and it must grow uh, to enable their companies to achieve more.
2: Thank you very much. I I looked him up. I did uh, what I thought was phonetically appropriate, and I found Fra Luca Bartolomeo de Pacioli, sometimes called Pacioli or Paciolo, 1447 to 1517 Italian mathematician, Franciscan friar, collaborator with Leonardo da Vinci and a seminal contributor to the field now known as accounting. Very, very interesting. Thank you for that. Now, clarify for me, what's your current title at Ventana? And why don't you tell us a little bit about what Ventana Research is up to these days, Robert? Oh,
4: sure. Um, My title is uh, Senior Vice President and I'm also a Research Director um, running the um, uh, Office of Finance and Business Practice uh, at Ventana. Um, and what Ventana does is, uh, just to give the sound bite here, we provide companies with uh, business-focused advice on how to make better use of software uh, based on the primary research that uh, that we do. <clears throat> We're um, advisors that understand business strategy, uh, but also uh, very you know expert in technology uh, so that uh, we can see the connection between the two. And I like to say, you know, uh, compared to other um, I- I- IT analysts, um, you know, I'm steep I'm in the technology, but I also read the accounting bulletins from time to time.
2: <laughs> that's that's good to know. Thank you very much, Robert. Glad to have you on board again. And let's welcome our third panelist. She is Elizabeth Milne. Elizabeth, I'm looking for your title here. I want to get it right. Uh, let's see now. I know you have an Executive MBA from Northwestern University's Kellogg Graduate School of Management, and you wrote a book in 2014, Accelerated Financial Closing with SAP. Elizabeth, I'm going to read the quote you sent me, and then we will find out what your full and current title is. So let me get to the quote here. Okay, this is a. F- fascinating quote. The quote is from a lady named Catherine DeVry, D-E-V-R-Y-E. She's a young one, born in 1957. Uh, Here's a little tongue twister. She's a Canadian-born Australian. Okay. Author of eight selling nonfiction books. She's a former IBM executive in Australia, Tokyo, and Hong Kong. She is an Australian Executive Woman of the Year winner, and she was named last year by the Financial Review as one of the top 100 women of influence in Australia I had never heard of her, but I will tell you that her books, Catherine DeVry's books, include Serendipity Road, Who Says I Can't, Hope Happens, Hot Lemon and Honey, Good Service is Good Business, The Customer Service Zoo, that should be interesting, Japan, An A to Z Guide, and Sports Marketing and Sponsorship. She's all over the place. Here is the quote Elizabeth has selected. The seven most expensive words in business are, we have always done it that way. Elizabeth Milne, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks for joining us. Give me your title. I didn't see it in your bio. What is your title currently at SAP? I am currently Senior Director in Product Marketing at SAP. Okay. Now that we know exactly who you are, tell me about this quote. Are you a big fan of Catherine DeVry? DeVry, how do you spell it? Uh, yes, I, I w- I'm a big fan of the quote.
5: I'm, honestly, when I was looking around, I knew the quote before I knew exactly where it came from or who to attribute it to, so it was more the concept of the quote itself that we've always done it that way. That's, uh, that, that concept of inertia is certainly something that we see out in the market quite a bit, but uh, as you opened with a joke, it did remind me of an accounting <laughs> joke that goes along with my quote is, uh, why did the accountant cross the road? And the answer is, well, that's what he did last year.
2: Or we might even make it a little worse and say that's what he did at the end of the last period, too, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm trying to get in the spirit of all of this uh, the CPA talk here. I, I hope I'm going to address this to, to you, Elizabeth, as well as to Robert and to Isaac. I hope I didn't offend anybody with the opening quote. I went through hundreds of quotes of CPA humor, and I thought, what's the one that's going to be most telling for our topic and least offensive? Robert and Isaac, I didn't upset anybody with that quote about the CPA who works forever, did I? I? No,
3: no. Yeah, I can't imagine. I can't imagine that you did. I mean, I think. Um, I think <laughs> one of the awesome things about working with accountants is they tend to pride themselves on working hard. I don't think you're. I don't think you're going to offend anyone with a joke that where the punchline is basically accountants work really hard and, and put in a lot of time.
2: Thank you very much, Isaac. I appreciate that. You're being very, very kind. Um, Elizabeth, I, I love the quote. I've heard it before, and I was fascinated to read about Catherine DeVry, uh, just a very interesting lady. She speaks internationally, by the way, on finding opportunities to follow your dream and turning obstacles into into opportunities to move ahead in your life. So very interesting lady. Thanks for that introduction. Now we're going to get a little more up close and personal with our panelists. I have pictures, by the way, to my audience. Audience. I have pictures of my panelists in front of me in my notes during every show, and most of most of the guests on almost all of our Game Changer shows send me pictures where they are smiling. So I'm looking at three very smiling faces, and I'm going to ask these smiling faces one at a time, where are you calling from today, and what's in your cup today, or what would you rather be drinking that makes you smile like in your photo? So, Mr. Isaac Tucker, talk to me.
3: So I am calling in from Los Angeles. I usually would call that sunny Los Angeles, but that's oddly not what's shaping up today. Um, I am drinking something called Soylent, and yes, it's uh, you know beyond once you get past the name, which I think is <laughs> I, uh, I think <laughs> is confusing and off-putting <laughs> to folks. Um, it's a it's basically a, a meal replacement shake. It, it it builds itself as, as ready to drink food. And, um, I mostly picked it up because I saw it on the billboard and, uh, I'm, I'm down (laughs) to try anything. Um, but it's awesome. It's, you know, it's, it's replaced my breakfast. It also tastes like chocolate milk, which helps. Um,
2: I have to spell it. I have to spell it, Isaac. So people are not misled. It's S O Y L E N T, and it's a brand of meal replacement that are advertised for consumption as staple meals, available in the U.S. and Canada as a pre-mixed beverage or in powdered form for mixing with water. Introduced just three years ago in 2014, after a crowdfunding campaign that generated, wait for it, Isaac, 1.5 million dollars in pre-orders. How's that for financial success? Hmm.
3: Yeah, it's half decent. Don't don't drink the powder though. The powder's not good.
2: <laughs> <laughs> For what it's worth. Um, Thank you very much. We have we have had panelists in the past mention it, but very rarely and, and the same reaction when we hear the word soylent, everybody just stops as you they just stop and say, What? That that's just not possible. So that's why I had to spell it. Yes. Yeah,
3: you'll have people you'll have people see the, the bottle out of my desk and go, Are you drinking people? I'm like, Well, no. I don't know. <laughs>
2: Okay. Thank you very much. Enough of that, Robert Kugel. What are you drinking and where are you today that makes you smile both?
4: Well, uh, let me just first say what Isaac was referring to. In the end, it was that the guy took the name from uh, from a famous science fiction uh, novel and movie called Soylent Green. Look that up, Google that, and uh, and you'll understand what he, what he was talking about there. Um, well, I'm calling in today uh, from Las Vegas, uh, Bonnie. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's early in the morning, but hey, it's Las Vegas, and uh, I'm uh, there's Billy Beer. In my class now, Ah. uh, probably nobody under the age of 40 or even 45 remembers Billy beer. Um, It was named for president Jimmy Carter's embarrassment of a brother, Billy, Uh, (gasps) the president's opponents brewed up a scandal. You remember this when they uncovered the fact that, that, that William Carter made his own beer at home, which at the time was actually illegal, believe it or not. Um, But rather than, you know, fomenting a scandal, Everybody in the country looked at each other and asked, well, why is it illegal in America to make your own beer? This is America. So Congress quickly created legislation ending the prohibition, which uh, quickly led to a homebrew craze, which then launched the craft brewing industry in this country as homebrewers uh, turned their hobby into a business. Um, before the 1990s, and if you're around, you'll remember this, the beer business in the United States was, was pretty stable, consolidating. Uh, the beer was just bland and boring uh, and uh, kind of a joke around the world. But today, there are over 5,000 craft breweries in the United States, and it's a big business. Uh, this country is now recognized as a leading innovator in lagers, ales, stouts, orders, mm-hmm. all that stuff. So Billy Carter, in his own little way, was the granddaddy of the craft brewing business in the United States. And really, you know, respond, that was responsible for a worldwide brewing renaissance. Um, the lesson for accountants, bringing this back to uh,
2: our yes. topic at hand,
4: um, is, is that uh, everything is the same until it changes completely.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I did not know that about the genesis of the craft brewery uh, phase or the stage or, or whatever, you, the, the coup that they're taking over the world by storm, I think, with all of these craft brews. And very often, Robert, are, we will have panelists who say, yes, I, I visited this brewery. I have my local favorite beer. I didn't know it all stemmed from Billy Beer, but I did look it up, and you may find it interesting that people have been asking the question, how much is an unopened can of Billy Beer worth on eBay? And the answer is it's about $3 if it's unopened, no kidding, but you cannot sell alcohol on eBay. I'm just going to leave it at that. Thank you for the lesson in craft beer. Very interesting. And back to what Isaac mentioned and you echoed, Robert. Soylent Green, S-O-Y-L-E-N-T Green, is a 1973 American science fiction thriller film directed by Richard Fleischer and starring, wow, Charlton Heston and Lee Taylor Young. She was on Peyton Place. That dates me, Robert, way back in the day. Edward G. Robinson appeared in his final film in this one it was based on the 1966 science fiction novel make room make room by harry harrison a police procedural combined with science fiction genres we could do a whole show on this but we're not going to so thank you very much and elizabeth's waiting so patiently to tell us where she is and what she's drinking today so elizabeth milne what's going on
5: I'm calling from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and it is sunny Florida today, and uh, I am drinking tea, and I am drinking an English tea, uh, it's a very generic tea in England, They on the box it says it's England's number one tea, it's uh, PG Tips, and they're nice pyramid tea
2: bags, and uh, yeah, pretty strong black tea here. PG Tip, that sounds interesting, too. We want to pay, here we are, PG Tips Tea in the U.S. Uh, there's an official site, pgtips.co.uk. Discover more about tea and PG Tips, the first U.K. brand to be fully Rainforest Alliance certified. Did you know that, Elizabeth? I No, I did not know that. I
5: did live abroad for a year, and I used to drink it when I was living in Europe. And then it was funny because I got back to Florida and I was trying to find it, and then finally I ordered it off of the internet, and then I went into the local Publix uh, supermarket here and mm-hmm. was walking by the international section and saw that it was in my local grocery store. So even though I did all this research to get it, I figured out that I could <laughs> buy it at the grocery store. <laughs>
2: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Uh, There's a PG Tips, uh, let's see, English Store, EnglishTeaStore.com says, PG Tips has been the best known and most popular brand of tea in the UK for over 75 years and is stronger than most Indian and African teas. Well, that's very interesting. Thank you, Elizabeth. We're having a good time here talking about the genesis of accounting, about the need for continuous small improvements. We have dug back into history of the father of accounting, uh, a Franciscan friar named Pacholi, who was a friend of Leonardo da Vinci, we've been talking about tea and Billy beer and all kinds of good things. But our topic, our serious topic today, with our wonderful panel, is continuous accounting, transforming finance from—and I've been told that bean counter is not a nice term. We'll have them comment on that after the break. To the valued strategic business partner, every corporate finance person ultimately wants to be, whether they know it or not. We're speaking today to Isaac Tucker at Blackline, Robert D. Kugel at. Ventana Research, and Elizabeth Milne at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're going to take a quick break. We're almost at the halfway point. Oh, my. And when we come back, Isaac Tucker and I will start the roundtable in earnest, and we'll go around and around the table and share some really interesting information with you. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We will be right back. Kevin out.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
0: We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? When it comes
1: to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com.
2: Yes, indeed. We're taking our coffee break today, which the gentleman at the beginning of the show said is the most nutritious hour of business talk a week, and we like to think we are. We've been talking a little bit about uh, beverage sustenance before the break, and now we're getting down to business here with Isaac Tucker at Blackline, Robert Kugel at Ventana Research, and Elizabeth Milne at SAP. And we're going to kick off the roundtable in earnest with Isaac at Blackline. And here's what Isaac told me before the show in his notes, and he will get us started in just a moment. He said, Enterprise Accounting, and finance software tend to be very conservative it's an area where innovation tends to be slow but both because the profession is heavily codified which we we talked about is also because the budget for innovative tools is often non-existent so let's talk about this innovation trend and new technology Isaac Tucker get us started and then we'll invite Robert and Elizabeth to chime in go ahead
3: yeah, my pleasure. I mean, I think this is, this is a good place to start a, our, our conversation around kind of an innovative trend in accounting and finance by, by noting that this is traditionally, historically kind of the, one of the more conservative pieces of the business. You know, and I think, that, I think that shows up in a bunch of different ways. I think that companies tend to underfund accounting. You know, there's something to be said for the revenue-producing part of the business gets whatever fancy new toys it wants. The Cogs part of the business is the same, but for the back office function, it tends to be a case of well, if it worked fine last year, then just keep using it this year. You know, we when mm-hmm. we talk to our customers, we've seen crazy things going in. You know, we see um, we see green screen accounting systems. You know, tools that are that are still running on mainframes. We see uh, we see situations where you still have people manually by hand writing down. Key information to have someone else mm. then key it in in a different in a different system. Ouch. So I think that I think that there's the kind of the backdrop for this conversation is this is an area that's ripe for disruption, right? This is an area where there's to date been systematic underinvestment, and where frankly, you know, organizations there's a ton of inertia. But that's cool. It means we're kind of poised uh, poised for a little bit of revolution. I think. Um, I will say just as one quick caveat, uh, often. Technology vendors can be part of the problem. You know, mm-hmm. because someone is still out there selling a mainframe accounting system somewhere. You know, and, and there's not very many companies. I you know, we like we like working with SAP, but you know, we like we like anywhere where you're starting to see people kind of push the envelope from a technology perspective. But mm-hmm. even a lot of the vendors in the space tend to be very much about the status quo. You know, I sold you that license last year, let's do it again this year. And again and again and again.
2: And again and again and again. Thank you. A good introduction to the topic, Robert Kugel at Ventana. Talk to us. Agree or disagree about this inertia? What do you observe?
4: Well, I take a slightly different view on it because I think, uh, you know, CFOs and controllers um, are, are just naturally cheapskates. Uh, they don't want to spend <laughs> the company money unless Sorry. they absolutely have to, um, you know, and uh, they, they don't think that software rusts. Uh, when in fact it does. Uh, one of the things are uh, we just published some research on uh, the next generation of ERP systems, um, and it turns out uh, that on average companies are keeping their ERP systems uh, two years longer uh, than they did ten years ago. Um, now they're better built. Uh, they're uh, you know they, they tend to maintain them better than they have in the past. But I, I think a lot of times that um, <clears throat> it's it's. Uh, uh, you know the result of of not wanting to spend money that you don't have to, and if it ain't broke, uh, then we ain't going to fix it. Um, but I but I also think, uh, and 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 to key off of something that Isaac did say, I, I think uh, you know that there's there's some component there uh, on on the vendor side, but I think it's it's because a lot of times <clears throat> uh, people listening to the claims of of technology vendors gets a bit a bit uh cynical in uh in, in if they're listening uh to what they're hearing because i you know i think a lot of you know, i think genuinely people think that uh who are making these products um uh, you know think that uh, they're they're achieving major advances when you know if you look back on on a lot of what looked like major advances in in computing and software they they seem like baby steps in retrospect um you know so I, I but i think that you know why are we having this conversation it's because i think technology now particularly <clears throat> the technology that's going to affect the the finance and accounting organization uh, this time it's different and what finance executives need to understand is that fundamental changes to the underlying technologies such as database design and 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 things like machine learning which sounds like so much bs and you know and and esoteric stuff you know, but, but, but it's for real, and, and it will eliminate the need for about half their accounting staff uh, within a decade, bit by bit, little by little. That's what's going to happen if that's what they want to do. If they want to embrace technology, it's fundamentally going to change um, how uh, finance and accounting organizations keep the books, uh, how, how they assess performance, and how they manage the finance function and, and the money uh but uh but i agree with 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 either it, it isn't going to happen overnight uh, a decade from now though you're going to look back and you're going to say this is when it started to change for
3: real
2: very interesting you, i i actually quoted you robert uh, does fight does um Financial software, Rust? And the answer is yes. Thank yes. you. That was a very quotable moment. In the future, somebody will quote Robert Kugel at Ventana as saying that. Very, very picturesque. Elizabeth Milne, love to get your thoughts on that. What's your POV? You agree with Robert? Or agree with Isaac? Or somewhere in the middle? So I, I agree on
5: some, and I don't agree on others. I think I uh- I definitely agree on finance is stubborn. They don't like to change. I mean, that goes back to the quote that I provided. We've always done it that way type Mm -hmm. of a mentality, which is hard to overcome. And to be able to convince that controller CFO that actually by not changing it, it's costing you money because they always come at it. Well, I can't spend the money now. We can't afford to change it. And it's really the opposite of that is that they can't afford not to change it. The, the thing that I disagree with is what Robert had said, that the finance staff would be cut in half in whatever, however many years. And I, mm-hmm. I don't think it's so much as, The reduction of the staff as a transformation of the role, hence the title of our our radio show, right? Is that I think that Mm -hmm. rather than having that bean counter or the number cruncher or the Excel jockey or whatever you're gonna call that person, Mm. that person is now gonna transform into being a partner within the organization and spend more time working with the operations people. Have, like I think that communication of the that finance person really being the analyst, being able to help to work with the different operations departments within the organization, will de- develop more of a partnership and an understanding on how you can really leverage all of this data to make the organization run better. Interesting, yeah, this is, this you this know. Be
4: clear, list. Yes, please. I, I Go ahead. Just jump in, I, I said mm-hmm. the accounting staff, and, and, and so I agree with her completely. But, it, you know, those people are going to run off, and you're going to hire more people to be partners with the business. You'll have the resources to do it. You'll have the time. And you'll have the funding.
5: Right. Very yeah, interesting say, comment.
2: Go ahead, Elizabeth.
5: Yeah this, is, yeah, this is something that I had submitted in one of my quotes, but when I started in in accounting, I was hired as a financial analyst, and then I got to work and just soon realized I was doing accounts payable. So, it's even just the terminology, and that was a long time ago, but it's really the concept. But I agree with you to the fact that the, the number crunchers are going to be less important. It's the, the title, right? The, the job description really is going to change on, on what those people are going to be.
3: So it, you know what's been ahead, interesting Isaac. to see in, mm-hmm. with some of the folks that I've been talking to is some, some relatively smart companies are actually starting to get out in front of that with some really different hiring practices. Right? They're starting to target a different kind of accountant in terms of who they see as a good fit for their organization. You know, we talk to, I talked to some folks who, who we work with quite a bit, and they've kind of shifted their hiring profile to people who have other skills. So I, sat down, I actually sat down at the table next to some gentleman who was a CPA who had basically spent the last two years becoming a database analyst, you know, so they're starting to shift their focus to people who have more technology skills, but also people who have more autonomy. On the other side of me at that same table was a guy who was an accounting manager with less than two years' experience in accounting. And I actually asked about that, and they said, well, <clears throat> he makes really good decisions. We trust him. He's a fantastic analyst. So why wouldn't we put him in charge? You know, so so I, think it's, I think, to Elizabeth's point, it's also about... It's about a different hiring profile. It's about different talent. It's about organizations recognizing that they want to switch things up in a big way.
2: Thank you, Isaac. What we've just seen, I'm saying this as a sidebar to my audience, is what we strive for here on Game Changers is having just a really good conversation. And I appreciate the shades of meaning and the shades of uh, of what you're all talking about. Isaac, thank you for introducing a really good starting topic. Robert Kugel, I'm going to look at your notes now. And let's let's talk specifically and do a little bit of a deep dive. Maybe that's an oxymoron, a little bit of a deep dive. Let's dive into what continuous accounting really is. You say it's built on three ideas, spreading tasks, managing work, establishing a continuous improvement culture. Robert, why don't you give us the the primer or the primer, if you will, 101 on continuous accounting in case our listeners don't really get what it is yet. So go ahead, and then we'll get Elizabeth to chime in, and then we'll invite Isaac. Go ahead, Robert.
4: Well, the, the idea behind continuous accounting is looking into, you know, what is it that's been preventing um, uh, the finance executives, finance and, and accounting organizations uh, from becoming strategic. Uh, and uh, as, as I've looked at it, um, I think most finance executives are too pressed for time to begin to contemplate change. You know, there's just too much on their plate right now. I'll get to that. I'm too busy. Uh, you know, to to become more efficient. Uh, it, they, I don't think they think they they've got the luxury at this point uh, to, uh, to to make those kinds of changes. So the the idea behind continuous accounting is 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 it's a way to free up time uh, by using uh, available technology to eliminate time wasting activities at the source. Uh, so you build data quality into finance processes. Uh, that can save enormous amounts of time downstream so that you don't have to do lots of checks and, and, and reconciliations. Uh, so if you control data uh, and, and data quality from the beginning to the end and you know straight through end-to-end processing uh, approach, uh, you uh, won't have to uh, do uh, checks and audits at, at, at the back end. Um, spreading workloads across the accounting periods uh, de-stresses departments uh, because you're balancing workloads and there isn't all of that, you know, uh, you know stuff that has to be done um, uh, at, at the end. And, and, and I think that tends to lessen a, a, a tendency uh, of departments to only uh, focus in on things that need urgent attention. Um, and, and lastly, embracing a, a continuous improvement attitude. Uh, counters uh, you know what what uh, Elizabeth was saying it, it it counters the we've always done it this way, mentality that uh, that that prevents a productive change from occurring so um, it's 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 those three things.
2: Thank you very much, Elizabeth. Love to get your thoughts on this, please. Yeah, absolutely I, I think the technology
5: the traditional technology was that at the end of the period, you run batch processes, assessments, allocations, whatever those are going to be. And those batch processes using older technology would take you three or four hours. To run an actual financial consolidation, you'd have to extract data from your ERP system, load it into another system, run a consolidation. All that stuff takes t- takes time, maybe four hours, maybe even a day to run a full consolidation. With in-memory technology that exists today, with the ability of the processing speeds that exist within computers today, things that used to take three to four hours, now you can run in minutes. And so the question is, now with that technology, what do we do? And to Robert's point, you distribute it throughout the period. So what if I ran that assessment in the middle of the period just to do a check and see where I'm at? What if I did run that consolidation in the middle of the period? Is it going to give me the complete period end picture? No, but it will give me time to address things that previously I had to wait until the end of the period because everything took so long to run. We only had one chance to run it, and then we run fire drills, and we work weekends, and we work long hours in order to figure out where the discrepancies are, do the variance analysis, making sure all the accounts reconcile. And now if you distribute that workload throughout the period, then it makes your period end better and it just it makes the access to that information better so that you can shift then from just producing a board book at the end of the period, which is a static number of reports that's either hard copy or PDF or whatever it is that's sent around mm-hmm. at the end of the period to leveraging technology where you can use self-service reports and you can have people go in and slice and dice whenever they want to get a better access to the information sooner to make better decisions.
2: Thank you. We're building out a really good definition here. Thank you. And very practical down to every day. And Isaac Tucker at Blackline, please chime in. Agree or disagree? Anything you want to add to our definition of continuous accounting? You
3: know, I'll, add, I'll add two things. The first is this. Continuous accounting in a huge way is about getting away from a calendar, uh, you know, the, the closed calendar can be a bit of a tyrant. You know, it's got some pretty demanding deadlines, and it, it demands that things happen on a recurring basis. And one of the things that, that we kind of, I look at continuous accounting as something that ultimately gets you away from things that are scheduled at all. I can give you an example. So, so accountants do something every month, usually called a reconciliation. And it's where they're, they're validating the balance in an account for completeness and appropriateness. But it's very possible that you don't need to do that reconciliation every month. That in fact, if the right things in fact occur, it's a zero balance account with no activity, or it, it ties out exactly to the bank account, both at the transaction and at the balance level. But for any reason, if you don't need to do that reconciliation, why do it? And the current answer today is, well, because we're on a schedule, and the schedule demands we do it monthly. But I think a huge part of continuous accounting is moving to event-driven or rule-driven tasks, where you don't say "I reconcile this account every month." You say "I reconcile this account when it needs reconciling." In other words, I only I only need to sit down and validate the completeness and appropriateness of it when it appears that it's no longer either complete or appropriate. So Very
2: interesting. I think that's yep, go ahead. A
3: little bit of a shift. Mm-hmm.
2: Interesting. The Let's get Robert that, Kugel's no. take on oh, that, Robert, yeah, what do you think? Come back to I, w- I want to get everybody in on this because we're we're getting close to the end. Robert, what do you think about what Isaac and Elizabeth brought into the conversation?
4: Well, I mean, to Isaac's point, I, you know you you can get rid of the calendar uh, when you manage things um, by exception. and And one of the big promises of today's technology that I think uh, will pay out, is, is automating an awful lot of accounting tasks, which are basically rule driven. Um, you know, that's the wonderful thing about accounting. There are rules. So, <clears throat> unless something is, is out of out of balance, needs attention, uh, a, a, a machine. You know, the machine learn the, the the machine that's been taught. Uh, how to be an accountant uh, can pass all of those other things and only uh, give uh, the, the things that need, you know, human intervention, the intelligence of a human being, you know, to, to, to deal with that stuff. So it, it, it does have, uh, you know, a tremendous potential uh, for eliminating work that will become unnecessary.
2: Hmm. Elizabeth, any thoughts on that? Yeah, a couple things. Good. Number one is, is
5: yeah. just the combination of people, process, and technology. And we talked about mm-hmm. people and how the, the profile of this accountant, the finance professionals, is changing. We've been talking about in-memory technology, those types of things. And, and I think Isaac did a good job of talking about how that process then is going to change to not being based around the calendar. But I think that one of the key things that needs to be brought into this that – when I discuss continuous accounting a lot, is that this is not going to replace the period end close. The period end close will never go away. I've never had a customer say, we would love a real-time annual report so that every time you open it, the numbers change <laughs> to live whatever the data is. So while the calendar will become less a barrier, there's, it still, I think, needs to be recognized that the period ends in creating reports at the end of the period. That's not going to go away, but the processes and how you get there and how you can make the quality of that information better at the end of the period is where you can start to deconstruct the calendar with other tasks that get you to the end of the calendar.
2: Interesting. Robert, thoughts on that?
4: I agree completely. You know, we, we, we have to keep the form's uh, and format of, of accounting because uh, they exist for a very good reason. They communicate um, uh, the, the, the performance and economic health of a company to people outside of the company and, and even people within the company. Uh, you, you, you know This requires you know the application of fixed dates because uh, that's the only way we can make comparisons. So that's not going to go away. How we do that will change fundamentally.
2: Thank you, and let's uh, let's see. We have just a couple of minutes before we go to our predictions, crystal ball predictions round. Elizabeth, I'm looking at your your topics here. Everything seems to be running in threes. We've had three three things from you and three from Robert, and I'm seeing another three that's emerging here in your notes. You say people can help their organizations, and I'm assume I'm going to ask you if this is only finance or this is broader. People can help their organizations move to continuous accounting by always thinking. And here is the three: centralize standardize, automate. Elizabeth, we need to know more, please.
5: Yes, it's that, that with the other three, right? The people, the process, and the technology. So wherever you can standardize, centralize, or automate, those are always areas. So when you want to start on continuous accounting, the first thing to do is to look at all the processes that exist. And if you go through and you see something that's being done manually, such as account reconciliations, as Isaac had mentioned, if that's something that somebody's doing a check mark and they're creating a binder that they're going over and ticking and tying manually, why can't you leverage software to, to automate that, uh, centralize it? If you have different people in different parts of the organization, you know, doing different things differently, if we, however you can pull that together, and and then standardizing, standardizing processes obviously streamline things and so those are you need to think standardized centralized automate as you walk through each one of the tasks that you accomplish during the period and close and those are ways that you can think to move towards continuous accounting and how can i do this
2: differently thank you another three there isaac tucker love to get your thoughts on these three
3: I want to. I want to mess it up again. I want to add a fourth.
2: Um, <laughs> Please do. Go ahead.
3: I, I think it's. I think it's. It's standardized. It's centralized. Then it's deconstruct. Then it's automate. I think a lot of a lot of technology plays struggle because people try to boil the ocean. I think that I think that there's a key step in there, which is, and I'm completely on board with the first two. But before you try to automate something, you need to break it down into its smallest, we call them the smallest unit of work. In other mm-hmm. words, what is what is the smallest movement of data, click of the mouse decision that's made that an individual is actually going to do? And actually look at your process with that with that lens in mind. Because what you might find is, this process is impossible to automate. But... I can do the first third of it, and then that kind of changes the manual effort on the second piece, and then the third piece becomes optional. You know, so so I, think, I think that deconstruction, I think, I think breaking things down to the smallest unit of work is a, is a critical step in the process before you automate, or you get these like, huge bang forever projects that may or may not actually succeed.
2: Thank you, Isaac. Uh, I have a question for the whole panel. We, we talked about that. I, I don't know whether Robert brought this up, about uh, automating to the point where you don't need to you can cut in half the amount of people working on your staff, and I know that's always an ouch. We talk about robotics and so many of our shows and eliminating the need for human beings in the workforce, and I know that's that's an ouch across the board. My question is let's back it up, to bring it up to the C suite, if you, you will, my three esteemed panelists. Who are the people today who understand the need for? people, process, technology, who understand the need for centralized standard, disrupt, automate, destroy, whatever it was Isaac said. Who are the people in the C-suite who have to have the mindset for, as Robert says, a continuous improvement culture? Is it the status quo, the old guard, excuse the term, people who've always been doing it, Elizabeth, who've been there forever, do they get this? We talked about who they have to hire, what types of people they want to hire for their staff. Who should the C-suite be looking at to sit at the table with the the finance word written on their sweatshirt or on the back of their director's chair? So I'm going to go around the panel briefly. We are in the predictions uh, section of the show, Crystal Ball. So I'm going to ask the three of you to talk about who should be in the accounting, the continuous accounting, and the finance C-suite chair in the next couple of years to help promote these changes? So, Isaac, let's gear our predictions to that topic, if you don't mind. Isaac Tucker, Black Line predictions, sixty I, seconds. Go. I kind of,
3: I kind of want to cheat a little bit. So, so the obvious answer is the CFO, right? I mean, the CFO is the is the person who has the authority and the wherewithal and the scope to actually... Kind but who will
2: that person be? Who will, will that kind of CFO insight? be? What what generation will they come from? What background will they have? Who do they need to be? You know, so,
3: so quite honestly, I really think that the leaders of the future in accounting and finance are people who are first and foremost accountants, but who are very comfortable with technology. You know, you're starting to see a lot more of the finance systems analyst role, but honestly, in our line of work, the controllers and the accounting managers and the VPs of finance that we work with are tech savvy. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know okay. that you can isolate a generation, but I think, mm-hmm. that, I think that the key thing is it's, it's accountant first, but someone who believes and understands and likes technology.
2: Okay, thank you very much. Good prediction and good, I think it's more of a, this has to happen rather than I predict this will happen. Let's go to Robert Kugel at Ventana Research. Who do you see in that C-suite chair really leading the charge? Charge being probably a double or triple entendre. We're talking about accounting here. Uh, Who's leading the charge for continuous accounting in the next couple of years? Robert?
4: Well, I think we're making progress uh, one gold watch at a time. Um, the uh, people who are you know close to retirement uh, grew up in an age where spreadsheets were just the most fabulous new invention on the face of the earth, uh, and uh, and and they haven't lost that mindset, which which is which is a real barrier. Uh, but I won't go there. Um, uh, the I think the you know ideally uh, I, I, you know it would be somebody who's extremely well versed in accounting uh, and technology. And sees the connection between technology and accounting. Um, I think I, I would agree that that, that those, that's that's a key ingredient there. Um, I think a, a a people-focused type of CFO, um, you know, somebody who is not uh, far too analytical, introspective, somebody who's a leader is in better uh, in a better position to lead that charge. Uh, because that individual can inspire change. Um, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the inward focus, being counter uh you know, that, that, that uh, stereotype uh, isn't really going to be able to, to motivate the kinds of uh, behavioral changes that are necessary uh, to take that leadership role uh, to inspire people to say, well, I guess we will do things differently.
2: Thank you. We will do things differently. There's the keyword, differently. I think do is also a keyword, not just think about, cogitate over, plan, schedule, do. Elizabeth Milne, love to get your prediction. 60 seconds, CFO yes, of the future. So
5: I, I would say that the exceptional accountant thing is absolutely mandatory, as w- w- was being talked about. We did talk about automating things. And when it comes to accounting, accounting is really an art It is not, even with machine learning, there will always be a human nature to accounting. There are guidelines that exist out there. There's laws and those types of things. But that is going to be the person that I think is going to drive this whole continuous accounting aspect of it. I would say the CFO is going to need to be the executive sponsor of it. But I think the controller level and those power users, those digital native generation that's going to come in and just have that natural comfort with the technology That paired with an education in accounting and understanding that accounting is an art and you can't automate everything when it comes to accounting. That's just not how it
2: works. Thank you. That was a good reality check. I want to thank our three panelists. What an interesting conversation. Isaac Tucker at Blackline. Isaac, such a pleasure to have you. Love the energy. And Robert Kugel at Ventana. Always a pleasure to have you. And Elizabeth Milne as well. And a shout out to our tweeter extraordinaire, Chris Grundy in the UK, who is, as I said, sponsor of... Chris, I know that Financial Excellence with Game Changers is on hiatus, but I am counting on you coming back with a new 10 episodes either later this year or at the top of 2018. Oh, my. Thank you to Kevin Gassman, our engineer extraordinaire at World Talk Radio, and we'll be back tomorrow with two live shows. We have, I think we're doing a supply chain and Internet, yes, Internet of Things of uh, tomorrow, uh, 10 a.m. Eastern here on the Business Channel. I'll be back with a topic on how Internet of Things is helping companies automate and speed up their supply chains. Yes, 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 and in the afternoon we'll be talking about your personal brand online, how it impacts you if you're in a small to mid-sized business. What's your social wardrobe? Very compelling. That's at 2 p.m. Eastern. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you so much for listening. This has been another hour of Coffee Break with Game Changers. See you tomorrow, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Be like Isaac. Be like Robert. Be like Elizabeth. Go out and be a game changer today, right now. Have a great one. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag, pound sign, Radio. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a
0: great week.